What's that sound? That's the sweet sound of bacon. I like bacon. You like bacon. I like a biblical narrative podcast with Andy Rigoni. You like a biblical narrative podcast with Andy Rigoni. So, what is this? Biblical details, historical context that puts you in the action. And with that, let's get started. Hey everybody, it's Andy. Happy Sunday to you and just uh, excited about doing our podcast with you today. Hey, before we get started, I wanted to let you know we have our first annual Longford Avenue Rib Off and it's going to be pretty much a rib competition with uh, with the idea of seeing who has the best ribs out there. So if you are interested in maybe participating with us, we'd love to have you here. Um, just let us know if you're going to be do, uh, bringing your ribs or if you're going to be bringing a side dessert and you you can email me if you like, uh, Andy Ragoni, A-N-D-Y-R-A-G-O-N-E at gmail.com, just letting me know if you're going to be able to come by. So anyways, it can be on January 27th, Sunday at 1 o'clock, and the feasting is going to begin. And we're going to have the legendary Tim Bjork, barbecue extraordinaire, who's going to come and uh, and judge our rib uh, samples. So anyways, uh, it should be a really a lot of fun. So just stay tuned for that as we get closer. I'll try to do my best to keep you updated. Let's get into the podcast. When it comes to experiencing the Christ-centered life, seeking God and personal flexibility are key. Watch what God is up to and be willing to join in where he's working. It's as simple as that, but it takes a desire to observe and to seek. And today we're going to get into the lives of three particular individuals here in Acts 20, 10, 23. While Acts 10 only speaks to this in passing, some cu- cultural norms come into play that will benefit from our understanding. And as we move through the narrative, pay close attention to the optionist, who is Cornelius's first officer and right-hand man, Simon, who is a leather worker, or Simon the Tanner, and of course, the Apostle Peter. So with that, let's get right into it. Wake up, the optionist forcefully whispers. He then drops his servant's belongings at the sleeping man's feet for dramatic effect. The servant of Cornelius abruptly opens his eyes to see his superior standing directly above him. What, sir? He manages to ask, with some surprising level of clarity. I'm in no mood to stay at this place of stench any longer than necessary, the optionist continues. Working with little sleep and what appears to be a splitting headache, the optionist has had enough. He simply wishes to fulfill his duties to Cornelius by bringing Peter back to his boss. If you breathe through your mouth, sir, you'll find it's quite pleasant, the servant offers, but this receives a harsh look from the officer. While the exchange between the servant and the optionist is quiet, it's not quite enough. The others sleeping in the main floor of Simon's home hear the footsteps and the whispering and they begin to stir. Feeling somewhat sheepish, the optionist looks around to see who might have been paying attention to his harsh comments. Ah, who cares, he reasons to himself under his breath. I can't possibly possibly be the first one to comment on how much this place reeks. Ever wishing to be hospitable, Simon's wife quietly makes her way to the lower floor and begins working back and forth between the kitchen and an area just outside of the kitchen doorway. She grabs her trusty pestle and begins to mill a blend of wheat and barley in the mortar stone. A short while later, Peter's wife relieves her at the mill as her arms fatigue. With a look of gratitude, Simon's wife gets up to begin a fire and to fetch water to start a soup for her guests. 
Seeing the productivity of his host, the optionist sighs and realizes they aren't going anywhere just yet. They would have to stay here throughout the morning, at least until late morning meal was finished. Simon and several others have awakened by now and make their way down from the upper room to join in on the morning routine. Simon looks at his guest below with a moment of both appreciation and pride. What an opportunity to host so many people. A beaming Simon thinks to himself, I don't think we've ever hosted so many people in our home at one time. While greeting the others in the central room of his modest home, Simon turns his head to see the women tirelessly working in the kitchen and outside and figures it would be best to stay out of their hair. With all of his guests now awake, Simon asks, Come with me, please, I want to show you something. The sun begins to warm and forces the foggy marine layer to retreat back to its oceanic home. While damp, the day promises to be splendid once again. Lord, I so appreciate your faithful provision, Simon offers, a heartfelt moment of thanks. All look at Simon and wonder what he's up to. Simon leads them outside and to his shop next door. Seeing where Simon is headed, the optionist sighs and mentally prepares himself. As if the house isn't bad enough, he mutters. He looks around at the others and sees his servant grinning back at him. Wipe that smile off your face before I smack it off, he retorts. The servant contorts his face to hide any happiness and looks straight ahead. Slightly satisfied with the servant's obedience, the optionist adjusts his garb and walks towards the shop. As the optionist turns his back to him, the servant grins as he follows. Opening the doors to let his guests step into the shop, Simon begin, begins his tour. The prophets Elijah, Elisha, and Zechariah each wore a hairy mantle. In fact, many prophets, including our beloved John, wore animal skins to carry out the prophetic office, as if to speak against the passing fads of clothing trends that have changed over the years, Simon continues. But clothing trends are only a symbol of how fickle we Jews have been. We made a covenant promise with God when Moses passed the law on to us, and we Jews have been in breach of the covenant ever since. And there it is. The thought runs through the minds of Simon's guests. As anticipated, a foul odor invades the nostrils of each person entering the shop. Yet nobody except the optionist blinks an eye. The tannery contains two rows of several shallow circular pools in the middle of the 20-foot by 20-foot shop. Each pool is accessible to the tanner, and two pools are currently in use, capturing drippings from the hides that drape over thick sticks resting on the rims of the pools. Seeing the optionist wince, a sensitive Simon raises his eyebrows to acknowledge his struggle. I get it, Simon offers. It's not a glamorous profession by any means. We're used to the rejection of others. When walking, people literally cross the street so as to avoid us. My wonderful yet suffering wife has had to endure this all of our married life. She didn't ask for this. Can you imagine what it's like to be married to a guy that everyone wants to avoid? We're not welcome at synagogue. Our rabbis stay clear of us. Heck, we're not even permitted to keep a mezuzah on our front door. Simon sees his guest looking somewhat awkward now as they focus on different parts of the shop. Look, I'm, I'm not trying to share my sob story with you. I'm just grateful that you have decided to spend your morning with me. Most just write us off. 
That is until they need something from us, like leather for their sandals, their sandals, bags, wineskins, ropes, armor, quivers, boots, and even their parchment used for writing, like the Torah. Ironically, we're a necessary evil, right? Getting choked up, Simon looks over at Peter, who adjusts a stick sitting over one of the pools. Pointing at Peter, Simon shares with deep admiration. Now, this guy has been the greatest gift God has ever given us. Not only has he and his wife befriended us, they have also shared the glorious news about how Jesus raised from the dead and put the promised new covenant into motion. Because of his brutal death and resurrection, Jesus has made it possible for us to be permanently forgiven of our sins and made right with God, something that obedience to the law could never do. The law only condemns, but Jesus gives us the power to become what God wants for us. He lets that sink in for a moment. Peter has treated us like friends when nobody else has given us the time of day. Not only that, but by their very act of staying with us for a season, we have been welcomed into a community here in Joppa that has come to embrace us as family. The optionist softens his appearance. He knows he has been unfairly harsh. In a diplomatic effort to conceal his disdain towards such a demeaning profession, he looks around the shop, filled with numerous animal hides, and begins to ask questions. Do you fillet the animals yourself? Taken back by a new level of curiosity, Simon's face first blushes, then brightens as he responds. Uh, well, no, actually, at least not normally. In most cases, we receive animal hides from those who have already skinned and butchered the animals. Often, those who are wealthy will have their servants do the dirty deed and bring us the skins. We then just take it from there. Another asks, how does this all work from start to finish? Ignoring their noses, others are also curious to better understand the process at hand. Fascinated by their newly found fascination, Simon grows wide-eyed. I would love to take you through each step of the way, but I'm afraid that the tedium of this work will put you back to sleep. With how bad this stinks, sleep is not what we have in mind right now, another guest teases. The room erupts in laughter. Simon smiles. Okay, but an effort to save your noses from permanent damage, I'll be brief. First, we have to clean and soften the skins by soaking them in one of these pools. Simon demonstrates by pretending to place a skin in an empty pool. He then walks over to a wall where several treated hides hang on their respective hooks. Pulling a clean hide off of one of the hooks, Simon then brings the skin over to his guest for closer examination, showing both sides of the hide for his guest to feel. We then have to scour the hide to get rid of any flesh, grease, fat, or blood. This takes some time and requires detailed attention. Once the hide is clean, we'll remove the hair by soaking the skin in a urine and salt solution. Over time, the hair is much more easily scraped off with a knife. But here's the nasty part, Simon says with a smile, aiming to pique the interest of his guests. It works. He now has the fixed attention of every person in the room. In order to soften the skin, we have to pound it by using... He pauses. Using what? Asked two of his guests, who are all ears by now. For dramatic effect, Simon lets the silence linger. Dog or pigeon feces? 
Ooh, the room collectively says with disgust. I know, Simon says. Now you know why people avoid me. And for some reason, they keep their dogs away from me too. Though I'm not sure why, he says with a wry smile. He gets interrupted. Are you done grossing out our guests? Simon's wife calls out from the door. And you wonder why they don't stick around. Listen, these men have to get back to Caesarea today, so let's eat. Simon rolls his eyes in concession and escorts his guests out of the shop. With a rekindled anticipation for fresh air, each guest walks out of the shop and takes a deep breath. The mood is lightened, and the banter among the guests becomes playful. They all seem to enjoy one another's company as they look forward to the meal that has been prepared for them. Freshly get griddled cakes to be dipped in vinegar and lentil soup. The meal is heightened with lively conversation, and upon having their fill, the guests recline for a brief nap before leaving. Well, this morning has turned out quite differently than what I had hoped. Knowing that his original plan was to get Peter back to Cornelius by sunset is no longer a reality, the optionist relaxes and appreciates his new friendships. These guys are beginning to grow on me, he thinks. Wait, the optionist looks at the other guests. Are all of you coming with us? He looks at Peter with a measure of incredulity. Pointing to the others, the optionist continues, You're bringing six additional guys with us? Surprised by his concern, Peter adjusts his view in the direction where the optionist is pointing. He looks at his men and then back at the optionist. Yeah, is this a problem? The optionist, not accustomed to being questioned, hesitates. Peter continues, Look, you're asking me to accompany you to be introduced to a guy, a Gentile no less, that I've never met. Heck, I just met you, right? Please understand, we Jews are pretty careful not to associate with Gentiles. Life becomes challenging for us because our people aren't too understanding with this sort of thing. Peter sees the confused look on the optionist's face and goes on. Our God has been doing some very radical things within our community over these past few years. There are too many details to list here, but please know that we have to tread carefully with every move we make. I need these guys to accompany me, not so much for my protection from you, but from the people I serve. Another puzzled look crosses the optionist's face. Peter smiles. Yes, this is hard for you to understand, but I'm pretty sure you're well aware that we Jews are a pretty different bunch, right? The optionist laughs at this. Understatement, he replies. Yeah, well, there's over a thousand years of history that explains why. Peter then points at the men around him. These men are here to give witness for whatever our God is about to do in Caesarea. I don't know what to expect, but... You yourself came here yesterday saying your boss, a God-fearing man, mind you, has had an encounter with an angel, right? You came here because your boss has sent for me. Not because he's heard of me or he's known me, but because an angel has given him my name. The optionist concedes. Yeah, that's, that's true. Peter pats the optionist on the shoulder and says, Well, I've seen a lot happen over these past few years, and if there's anything I've learned, it is this. Don't be too surprised by the way God surprises. What we're about to experience with your boss? Well, I suspect that God has a doozy just waiting for us. These men are here to help me when I have to later explain what God is doing to my fellow believing Jews. 
The optionist nods with a new understanding. Okay, I guess. But they'll need to fend for themselves while we hike. Peter agrees as they corral the men to leave. He thanks his host and his own wife for their hospitality and leaves with the other nine men. Walking out of Joppa along the coastal road, the ten men make their way north to the next Roman town called Apollonia. The optionist sidles up to Peter for a portion of their walk and asks a question. So, how did you know we were coming for you? Peter smiles. Well, I've wondered if that question would ever come up. He hikes a little further and finally says, Let me share a little of my life story with you. As we wrap up this week, I want you to think about three main individuals here, everybody. First, we have the optionist, a Roman military officer who is at the right-hand man of a God-fearing Gentile, a centurion, a seasoned senior centurion at that. He does what he's told, but he's quite unaccustomed to Jewish thinking. What's his takeaway? Well, for the optionist, he's entering into an unfamiliar world where he's learning to loosen his grip and allowing things to happen as they happen without him trying to just seize control. The hunger to control circumstances, especially when you're in the midst of what God's trying to do, eventually oftentimes can lead to anger. You're now beginning to fight against God because you're trying to control your circumstances. If you see a bunch of grumpy people around you, It's probably because they have lost some sort of degree of control of their worlds and they don't know how to recapture it. That's why people kind of get curmudgeon as they get older. They're let down by life and they realize that the plans and the dreams that they had hoped for are not going to be fulfilled, oftentimes because the control that they try to exert oftentimes worked against them. There's much to say on this, and I, and, and I would really like to explore this different but uh, or, or more so, but really time, we don't have that today. Second, we have Simon the Tanner. Here's a guy who's been rejected by society, and he's dragged his wife into his shared life. We encountered by the love of, we're, when encountered by the love of Peter, his wife and the church, his life is dramatically changed. We can probably go down a lot of different rabbit holes here as well, but the prevailing thought here is how the love of God extends itself to the rejects of the world. In fact, it's through the world's rejects that the church flourished throughout the Roman Empire. It started off in the most uh, most menial of classes, oftentimes slaves, uh, those who were not Roman citizens, those who did not have privilege. Those are the ones who brought Christianity to the forefront. It's really interesting that way. The rejects were rejects because they were outliers in various societies, especially amongst the Jews. The rejects are the underdogs, Right. And God just has a heart and a passion for the underdogs. Don't believe me? Talk about the Samaritans. The fact that God would spend the bulk of his time or a good portion of time sending Philip and then later on Peter to minister to the Samaritans, the loathed underdog race that the Jews just could not associate with, and yet God brings the gospel to them. So, something to think about. Now, get this. Earlier with Jesus, Peter would have experienced this. In Luke 18, 9 through 14, Jesus shares a parable about two guys. One is a righteous and holy religious leader. He's a Pharisee. And another is a societal reprobate, also known as a tax collector. One believes himself to be close with God, highly disciplined, 
truly an A-game sort of guy and a model citizen. The other is plagued by personal guilt and societal shame. Depressed and disconnected from God and others, the man is at the bottom of his barrel. Curiously, Jesus commends not the deeply devout religious guy, but the guy who humbly comes before God, begs for mercy, and hopes to see personal change. Now, one curious belief that is pretty popular these days is to surround yourself with people better than you, so that you may learn from them and be brought up to their level. Now, can I ask us just to think about this for a moment? What if they're wanting to do the same thing? If the people who are better than you are only aiming to surround themselves with people who are better than they, why would they give you the time of day? Well, they wouldn't. Why? Because they're way too busy trying to improve their own game. It's, it's a mindset of complete self-absorption. The mindset seems to go against Jesus' countercultural move, whereby we're called to reach out to the rejects and move them towards a closer relationship with God. If God is the ultimate teacher and life changer, then why wouldn't we direct folks his way? Why wouldn't we search after him ourselves? Now, does that mean that we're not here to learn from those who can teach us much about life? No, of course not. We should be the most teachable people in the world and surrounding ourselves with people who are more knowledgeable, not better, but more knowledgeable. It's a good thing. And and, and as long as we keep focused on loving the rejects, that's an important part of this process as well. Loving the rejects because, let's face it, we've been there and it wasn't pleasant. Furthermore, God has reached out to us in our greatest time of need, and he has been transforming our thinking. So why shouldn't that be paid forward from us? Something to think about. Finally, we have Peter. He's the guy who has long since learned to recognize what God is up to and has decided to join the party. That pretty much sums up Peter's ministry. Watch what God is doing and join him with the adventure. Consequently, God opens up many opportunities for Peter to be used as a wonderful tool for kingdom advancement. Peter was not a super saint, as many kind of purport him to be, nor was he ever aiming to be as such. He was a hometown boy who was interested in the things of God, but he never expected to be used quite like this. If we're aiming to aspire to be used as Peter was used— we really need to look no further than to seek out God's direction and join in on the fun. Over time, and as promised, God places you or within you a desire to serve him in very unexpected ways, just like Peter. Well, that's all we have for today, guys, but there's some really good takeaways that I hope that you're able to move out from this week and celebrate this week, but also be able to maybe incorporate in your own lives. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.